0: Okay, our reading from God's Word this morning comes from Philippians. We are finally here to start our study in Philippians. We'll be reading Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I'll give you a moment to flip there if you'd like to follow along. Philippians 1, 1 through 11. Philippians 1, 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel, from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify And we're so thankful to God that we have his word. Please pray with me once more before we begin to study God's word together. Father, we come to you together one one last time asking for your help as we study your word. Help us to understand it. Help us to see it clearly. Help me not to confuse it with my presentation of it. And Lord, I just pray that it would be powerful in our lives this morning. Because I know your word is true and I know that it is powerful. So help me just to get out of the way of that and help us to see you clearly through your word. And we pray these things confidently through your son Jesus. Amen. Now, before I begin, I just want to mention, I know Mother's Day, the whole sermon was about mothers. It was called Motherhood is War. And it was very serious. Now, we're going to do Father's Day a bit differently. Uh, I thought about interrupting the series to do a Father's Day message, but I thought, no, we'll keep going through this sermon series and not divert from it at this juncture. Not because fatherhood is any less important, but because fathers are used to getting the short end of the stick anyway. And, And every sermon is a Father's Day sermon because we as fathers are the one that God placed in the home to live these things out and to shepherd our family in. So we're going to keep going. We're going to start in Philippians today. And last week, I did my very best to instill in you a confident sense of of hope. Those of you who have been joyless lately and who are Christians, I did my best to instill in you a sense of I can be joyful again. Regardless of my circumstances, God's God's word teaches that I can be joyful. That's where we're coming from. Last week, And I hope you all came here with anticipation for what God will do in your life through the study of his word, through the application of his word. I hope you all came here excited for that this morning because I really think that God could unleash a whole new depth of love in our lives and in our congregation through this passage this morning. And that that would lead to a whole new depth of joy in God through Jesus. So that's what we're after. This message is about Christian love this morning. We're going to try to figure out what is it and how does it relate to joy. And we're going to do it all in about 20 minutes, so it's going to be amazing. So I did a little research. I tried to figure out where are people looking for love out there in the world. And the first thing I realized is that Google, apparently, when you think of love, only thinks of romantic love. That's pretty much the only love that the world really thinks of when they think of love. What first comes to their mind is romantic love. So the best I could come up with for you is a top ten list, where to find the love of your life. Okay? Where to find the love of your life. So, you single people in here, get out your pens. This is going to help you. I like to point out specific individuals during my service. (laughs) Number ten, online dating websites. These sites now have like complicated programs that you input your information and it will match you up with your perfect mate, the love of your life. Number ten, this is really on here, getting your oil changed. How many of you, husband and wives, met changing your oil? Not too many. Number eight, the mall. Number seven, bookstores. Number six, hiking. For those of you attracted to woodland creatures. That is for you. Number five, the beach. And the study said that the beach is a venue that attracts the most fit and athletically minded people. I don't think I've ever been to the beach that they were doing their research. (laughs) Number four, museums. Number three, blockbuster or video stores. Number two, the coffee shop. And the number one place to meet the love of your life. Do you guys think you know where it is? The grocery store. The grocery store. If you're feeling lonely, go to Super Walmart. And there you will find the love of your life. I think we spend a pretty good bit of time in the grocery store. And yet I think that there are most likely many in the congregation that do not feel as though they are experiencing the epitome of love in their life. No matter whether you're single or married or whatever your status is. If we could just go to Super Walmart to find this, I think we'd all be a little more joyful. But I don't think it's that easy. Because obviously some of us, some of us are not. And this passage of scripture is for those of us in the congregation who are sometimes joyless. Because we just don't feel loved. Or we just don't know how to love. Or we just don't experience love. This passage is for, for those of us who are like that. Now I'm not just talking about romantic love, as we'll see. So let's just dig in. Let's just dig into God's Word. Philippians one one, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints, which just really means Christians. To all the Christians in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Together with the overseers and the deacons. The church leadership. Grace and peace to you from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's really important to understand who is Paul. It will really help us understand this book to understand who is Paul. He's the writer. This is how they they introduced their letters back then. They'd start off with who the writer was. Paul. He's writing on behalf of his friend Timothy, but Paul is the writer. Now, before Paul was known as Paul, his name was Saul. Once Saul became a Christian and got saved, he changed his name to Paul. It will help us to understand this book, to understand who Saul was. Who Paul was before he became a Christian. Paul was a harasser, torturer, murderer of Christians. Before he became a Christian. And we see in Acts, he didn't just harass Torture, murder, men. It says women and men. He was ruthless. This was a man very well acquainted with grief, with regret, and with guilt. That's my only point in telling you that. If there's anyone in here who feels like, well, this joy stuff is fine for these goody two shoe Christians who've never done anything wrong, but if they knew what I had done, they would know that I'm never going to taste joy. Paul could. And he harassed, tortured, murdered men and women. Maybe even children, I don't know. That's not clearly spelled out. He's also a man who suffered a great deal even after he became a Christian. He was harassed after he became a Christian. He was beaten. He was stoned nearly to death at one time. Shipwrecked, mocked, hated. So this wasn't a guy who's just on cloud nine all the time. And guess where he's writing this book from? Prison. He's in prison when he's writing this letter about joy. See, I told you there is joy that transcends our circumstances in God. Some of us still don't believe it, but it's there for us. Paul found it. Let's pick up at verse 3. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Elsewhere in the scripture, we learn a little bit about Paul's prayer habits. And basically, he prays all the time. The word they use is unceasingly. Paul prays about as much as some of us worry. Unceasingly, without stopping, he's always praying. He's thinking through the churches he's planted and the Christians that he feels responsible for. All day long, and he prays for them as they come to mind. And when some of these Christians come to mind, his prayers are concerned prayers or worrisome prayers. He's worried about them. But when the Philippian Christians come to his mind, his prayers for them are full of joy. And when Paul's prayers are joyful, he's joyful because he's praying all the time. And the Philippians bring him joy every time he remembers them. So the question is why? Why was this man, who must have been wracked with guilt and regret over his life before being a Christian, Constantly struggling as a Christian with difficult circumstances. Currently in prison. How is he able to be so full of joy? In regard to the Philippian Christians. well, Let's read verse 5. Well, I'll back up to verse 4. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now. Why is Paul joyful? Because of their partnership in the gospel. That word partnership, it's translated in other translations, participation in the gospel. In other translations, fellowship in the gospel. Basically what he's saying is, you guys bring me joy. Because you believe the gospel. You truly are followers of Jesus Christ. You're my partners in loving And living out the gospel. When he planted this church, there were only three converts there was a businesswoman, a former demon possessed slave girl, and a jailer. And they partnered with him in the gospel. And this church grew. He said, You bring me joy because you're my partner in working to spread the gospel. They're engaged with the gospel, which Paul knows is the most important thing, they're participants. I like that translation. Because you are participants with me in the gospel. One of my other hats that I wear here as a minister at the church is I'm a youth minister. And so with the youth, I try to play games and activities and such. Some of them are better than others, I will admit. Um, But inevitably, no matter what kind of game it is, there's always one or two that they just don't want to participate. You know, They're just not going to participate. And I see what a drag that is on the group. What a discouragement it is for someone to not participate, especially when it's something that the others find very important. So for Paul, if you look at his other letters to churches, he's always like, gosh, you guys are just disputing. You guys are wasting your time on all this petty junk. But then he thinks about the Philippians, and he's like, but you guys, you are participating. You are engaged and are participating with the most important thing in the universe, the gospel. And this is fellowship. The word there is sometimes translated fellowship. We call our Wednesday night get-together fellowship. And it is, and it's good. I love Wednesday nights. I love potlucks. Potlucks are changing my entire physical makeup. But a potluck with other Christians is not necessarily fellowship. It's not necessarily biblical fellowship. Biblical fellowship is a group of people participating together in the gospel. That's fellowship. And it brings about a bond among Christians that you cannot find anywhere else. This is the bond that Paul felt to these people. This is what generated the love that then generated the joy. It's camaraderie that you just don't find anywhere else is the bond of brothers and sisters participating in the gospel of Jesus. That's Christian love. Uh, one of our guys at the Headquarters named Russell Carl And I cannot remember his title right now But I know that he is over a particular Part of our missions arm Out into the world So he travels all over the place He's visited us several times You probably would recognize him if you don't know him by name And I was talking to him Just about some of these different places He goes to all over the world And he says that one remarkable thing is He'll show up In one of this far land Where they culturally have nothing in common Maybe not even language And yet there's an instant connection An instant bond An instant love Because they both love Jesus And they're both participating in the gospel together There's a book called Soldiers Dead And in it one of the sections is about The bond experienced by soldiers in war together And I want to read it to you says that it is a bond rarely experienced in civilian life. The writer says, combining the camaraderie of a football team, the dedication to task accomplishment of a dot-com startup, the sense of separation of a cult, the unit preservation of a police department, and the love of a family, combining all that together will yield a cohesive force that still falls short of the ties that bind military members together. And that's kind of like the bond between Christians who are participating in the gospel together. It's a love unique to anything else. It's a a foxhole love. It's the love of people who are in battle together. This was the love that Jesus was talking about when he told his disciples. Here's how people are going to recognize that you're my disciples. They're going to recognize you as followers of me because of how you love each other. Not because of the Jesus fish on the back of your car. Because of how you love each other. That's the identifying mark of us as Christians. I mean, just look at how Paul talks about his brothers and sisters in Christ here. In verse 6, he says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or... Or defending and confirming the gospel. All of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify. How I long for all of you. With the affection of Christ Jesus. Just listen to how affectionate that is. Paul was a hardened, tough guy. But listen to the affection that he has for his brothers and sisters. He longs for them. With the affection of Jesus Christ. So for you... Who occasionally are a joyless Christian because you just don't feel love. You don't experience love. You don't understand how to show love. Love evades you, and thus you're joyless. Here's where to start. Four questions. Like the Philippian Christians, do you believe the gospel? Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus was the Son of God? That Jesus lived the perfect life that, that we all failed to live. That on the cross Jesus died the death that we should die, took the punishment that we deserve, took the judgment that we earned, so that through him we can be pardoned. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he is the only hope for eternal life later, for abundant life now? First question to ask yourself. If you're joyless, you have to start here. Do you believe the gospel? Question two. Do you love the gospel? Does it mean everything to you? And do you adjust your life to the gospel? Do you live out the gospel? I believe that if I would eat nothing but berries and vegetables, and if I would exercise... I would feel a whole lot better. I would look a whole lot better. I would live a whole lot longer. I would think a lot more clearly. I believe that. And yeah, here I am. <laughs> Perpetually tired because I just get zero exercise. And unless Meredith cooks for me, I eat junk. Believing it doesn't necessarily change anything. You have to believe it and make it your own. You have to participate in it. Do you believe the gospel? Do you love the gospel? Number three, do you devote your resources to the gospel? We'll read later in Philippians that sometimes they were the only church that financially helped Paul with his missionary task. And where your treasure is, there your heart is also. These people, they were not abundantly rich, but they helped financially with the task of the gospel. Because that's where their treasure was. Do you believe the gospel? Do you love the gospel? Do you devote your resources to To the advance of the gospel. And do you devote yourself to the gospel? These Philippians were devoted to it. That's where their brotherly love came from. And it yielded joy. And we're so used to six steps to this, four steps to that, thanks to the magazines that we read. Here are the four steps: four steps to find true, deep joy. By finding true, deep love. Believe the gospel. Love the gospel. Devote your resources to the gospel. Devote yourself to the gospel. Now I'm putting myself in your shoes and I imagine some of you are like, what is all this about the gospel? I thought this was going to be about love, joy. I mean, does this seem strange to you that this is the avenue Some of you may have seen the topic for Sunday and are like, man, that is me. I need love. That's why I'm joyless. And maybe this isn't quite what you expected. This formula, participation in the gospel, yields love, yields joy. Maybe that's not quite what you had in mind. But what were the first two, the greatest two commandments? But someone asked Jesus, what are the best two things we can be applying ourselves to? What are the most important two commandments? Jesus said, well, okay. Number one, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. (coughs) Start there. And then, love your neighbor as yourself. We want to chop that God part out of there, don't we? We just want to look at each other and and, and hold hands and feel love, all the while ignoring God. And we cannot. We can't. True love has God's goodness in the gospel as its foundation and as its fuel. True love has, as its foundation, God's goodness in the gospel. After all, God is love. The Bible teaches that. God is love. If you're trying to find love without God, it's just not going to work. If you're trying to find God without the gospel, it's just not going to work. The gospel is all about how to find God, it's only through Jesus. So that's why this is the route. To find love, you must find God. To find God, you must find the gospel. And there's kind of an unsettling truth to Scripture you're not really free to love anyone. Until you're freed by the gospel. Because until then, you're not really loving. Until you're freed by the gospel, you're not really loving people. You're using people. Now just ask yourself, why do you want love? Why do you want to find love? Do you want to find love to feel satisfied? Do you want to find love to feel better about yourself? Do you want to find love to feel important? Do you want to find love to feel beautiful? Cherished? I'm not saying those things are in themselves evil, but they're all pretty inward focused, aren't they? True love is selfless. True love is an outward motion. Otherwise, it's just using someone else for our own gain. And that's not really love. There is no real love apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And love promotes the importance of the gospel in the recipient's life because true love knows that is the highest good. Any kind of love that leaves someone disconnected from God who is love is not love at all. The gospel promotes true Christian love and binds Christians together by a common passion, and a common desire, a common purpose to gain God and to help others do the same. So are you a joyless Christian because love evades you? Start here. Believe the gospel. Love the gospel. Transfer all your hope and faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Participate in it. Devote yourself to it, your resources to it. And in so doing, you will be welcomed into the family. You'll be welcomed into the war with your brothers and sisters. Participate in the gospel and you will experience true love that will yield true joy in God through Jesus. I want to read the rest of this passage here. Sort of in closing. Right after Paul says, God can testify for how I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And he says in verse 9, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Note that prayer. That's my prayer for me, for my family, for you, for our church. That your love may abound. I want your love to abound. God wants our love to abound. But He's not talking about chick flick love. He's not talking about greeting card love. He's talking about love that is based in knowledge and depth of insight. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. It may seem strange to the world for us to come here and use our minds to try to understand things to help us love more. When the world's like, no, just let your heart do the leading. How do you feel? Just let your heart feel it. Where our feelings come from how we think. And that's why Paul understood true love has to come from knowledge and depth of insight. Knowledge and depth of insight comes from the truth, God's word. So I just want to close the sermon praying this prayer for our congregation. And then we'll sing a love song to our God. And we'll go forth from here. And man, I pray that God unleashes just a torrent of true biblical Christian love in our lives. That leads us to God and gives us joy. Please bow with me. Father, this is my prayer. Simple as Paul's. That, your, that, that our love would abound. And that it would abound more and more. And that it would abound in true knowledge. And depth of insight found in your word. That our love would be well informed love based on reality. And not passing feelings that change. Make us a congregation made up of individuals who believe the gospel, who love the gospel, who participate in the gospel, who devote their resources to the gospel, who devote their lives to the gospel. And as we turn our focus toward you, through your son, Jesus Christ, may we experience the kind of love and joy that the Philippian church experienced. I pray this in your son's sweet name. Amen.